Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Amen. Thank you so much, band. That was really amazing. Isn't it just always so precious to come and to spend time in the Lord's presence? Always so encouraged. We had a fantastic time last week. I know you guys had a really good time last week and the house was packed. Apparently there weren't very many open chairs last week with the baby dedication and missed out on the nice snacks and the sweets you guys had. Um, but I believe it was a really blessed day. I'm really almost, I don't know if you can use the word bummed in church, but pretty bummed that we missed out. Um, but we were in Malopo, and sort of way in the north of the country, near the border of Botswana with the team, and just doing some training with a whole group of pastors. And it's the second time that I've been there. Yaku's been there twice as well. And it's just incredible to see how God is moving, how people are hungry for the gospel of Christ. And the pastors come from two or three hundred kilometers from a, quite a large radius. They come together to gather there, and we just invest into their lives, and it's amazing to see how they're being strengthened and encouraged and how the work of God is flourishing. So thank you so much for those who prayed with us, who prayed for us, and we're going to be sending teams there again, um, probably not this year, no, probably one more at least this year. I forget that it's the middle of the year only, and um, so do keep your ears peeled for that if you want to join, and we're sending a bunch of teams to other parts of the country and countries as the Borders have opened up again, and we would be able to embrace something that God has always made part of our DNA, just the joy of being able to go to the nations. Um, you know, sometimes as we, we go through life, I was sitting with somebody the other day, and it's a, a thing we hear often, sometimes perhaps say often, but you know, someone said that they just want to stop adulting for a while. Can we just stop adulting? You know, we've got a bunch of kids, I know some of us here, we've got little kids Sometimes can't we just be those kids again? Can't we just forget about all of the realities of life, all of the challenges? I was speaking to someone yesterday who um, their kid is in sort of one of the top schools in the country, and there's quite a large price tag attached to that. And as the kid was coming sort of to grade seven, son of says, what's that? Grade eight, end of grade seven, starting grade eight, having to decide which school to go to. He had a couple of schools, and he has some scholarships as well. And he wanted to know how much it's going to cost to go to all of the schools. And the parents were just like, we are not going to tell you. You don't need to worry about that. We're in a position where whichever one of these options you choose, we can make it happen. But you don't have to worry about the adult stuff. You know, as we go through life, life is pretty hard. In the last two or three years, you know, with COVID and jobs closing and businesses and family and people being sick, Life's hard. This world we live in is a pretty, pretty broken place. And sort of just as a little asterisk, we're going to get back to that. As we've been traveling in the last couple of weeks, I've had the privileges of being in a, a number of different churches again. I just have such a renewed excitement in my heart about what God is doing here, sort of as we gather in this building, but more than that, as we scatter into the city. And I have a renewed excitement in my heart that God really wants us to make a significant influence in discipling a large part of the city, even from this beautiful but 
pretty small building that we have. And I'm just, I'm just trusting that God is going to continue just adding people as we go out and as we fetch people. And I want to encourage you, if you don't yet have a list, make sure this afternoon as you go home that you have a list of some people that you are praying for, that you have some people in your life who are not in a relationship with Christ at the moment or who are a little bit shaky in their relationship with Christ, and you're praying for them. You're trusting God to move in their lives, and you're looking for opportunities to invest, perhaps something like a life encounter or just an opportunity, a worship night, a, a space where you can invite them to for them to grow in faith. As we're praying together in our business places and we're praying together in our families as we're praying together wherever we go, let's be a people who are deliberate about reaching out and reaching into the lives of others. So kind of in that asterisk again, there's a broken world all around. There's a world crying out for Jesus, and we are in that world. And life, adulting, it's tricky at times. And as we are followers of Christ, that means sometimes we have to swim against the stream. Sometimes Christ is going to call us, He's going to speak to us about doing things differently. That following Jesus doesn't look like following the world. And if our life looks the same as our brother, our sister, our cousin, our colleague who is not following Christ, then we have to ask ourselves, are we really following Christ? Because following Christ looks different. Now I have a, a little bit of a one of the little bugbear thingies that sit on my shoulder. Every time somebody says that we must preach or live a radical Christ, we must preach a radical gospel, and kind of I want to interrupt those people and say, no, please don't. Because when we start preaching a radical gospel, it means that we're adding to it, we're preaching a fake gospel. Because just the gospel is radical. If we just preach Jesus, that is radical, that is upside down, that is different. We don't have to go and look for extra. Just find out who Jesus is and preach Jesus because that is radical. And when we try and be extra radical, we try and be more radical, we try and add stuff to that, we're missing the whole point because then it's not Jesus anymore. But the gospel is radical. The gospel is upside down to this world. But as much as the gospel is upside down to this world and running ahead of myself a little bit, it is not upside down to everything. And so I want us to read here in, in Acts chapter 26, as this hard as this world is, and I've got a, a bunch of brothers, three of them, and we had a, a family function yesterday there with cousins, and they were like, wow, we haven't been together in how many years because my one brother lives in New York, and the one brother lives in Canada, and the one brother lives in Hong Kong, and we all happen to be in South Africa at this moment for the first time in a couple of years. But the crazy thing is that two of them have decided they don't want to go back where they come from, where they've been for the last couple of years. Because we often think that, you know, somewhere else is always better and something that we're learning more and more, it's what we make of it. Every place in this world that we go to is broken and has issues. No place is perfect. Kind of speaking as part of that conversation as well at the same time, just surviving in South Africa, you deserve a certificate, you know. But every place we're going to go to has issues. Every place we go to on this earth is going to be hard. It's what we make of it that matters. Whether we are here when we are stuck 
I loved Marifa's message a couple of weeks ago as he shared just the reality of what he's been through. I mean, some of our, the first time he told me, I was like, well, can we just, are you sure this wasn't a Hollywood movie he just described to me? He's like, no, this is my life. <laughs> For those who are visiting, he's from um, Congo and grew up there in a time of war. And when he was six years old, his car was, the car that he was driving in was attacked by a rocket-propelled grenade and upturned and his mom was shot as he was hanging on to his mom's leg, and just a whole story kind of flowing through that of grace as God moved in his life, and as God moves in our lives. But every place that I love, what I love about Marifa's story, perhaps more than anything else, is that life is what, by the grace of God, we make of it. Whether we are here, whether we are in an orphanage in Congo, whether we are in the best of this world in a worldly sense, of a first world nation. Life is what we make of it. And besides, in case we forget, we're just traveling as, travelers through here anyway. We are just campers. I like reminding myself of that from time to time. The Bible calls us sojourners, campers. You know, from time to time we go on holiday and you pitch a tent. And you know a tent is a little bit uncomfortable to live in. It's fun for a holiday, but most of us aren't going to choose to live like that. It's nice because it's a little bit different sleeping on the floor and cooking on gas fire, fire fire, not like a gas nice stove, smeg oven in your home. Camping and headlights, it's fun, it's a little bit uncomfortable, it's a little bit cold at time, but it's a little bit different. I like reminding myself from time to time that the Bible calls us like that in this world. Because we go to our holiday and we're there for two or three weeks and it's a little bit uncomfortable and then we come back to our homes sort of in real life. And Scripture says our life on this earth is a little bit like just a two-week camping trip. There is eternity which is home, but right now we're just traveling. We're just sojourners. We're just sort of making our way through this life for a moment, but our real home awaits us. And so life is largely what we allow God through us to make of it. But in the midst of that, there is some hard, there's I've just loved our messages the last couple of weeks. It's been so challenging to me about following Jesus and reminded that following Jesus really is not hard, but is very difficult. In the sense that nine times, 95% of the time when I speak to people following Jesus, wanting to follow Jesus, it's not that they don't know what Jesus wants them to do. It's that they don't know how to do what Jesus wants them to do. Or well, sometimes people come and they knock on my door and they find me in the middle of the night or early in the morning and they want to speak because they sense God is speaking to them about something and I can hear they're wanting me to say something different. They phone me because what God is asking me to do is really, really difficult to do. It's not hard, it's very simple. I just need to phone this person and say sorry as an example. But it is so difficult to do that. And then... Philip, can you give me a reason not to? And I'm like, I'm not going to say something, anything else that God has told you to do. If you sense God is telling you to do that, then I'm going to tell you to do it. Why haven't you phoned them yet? Why are you phoning me and not them? <laughs> no, but you get phoning me sometimes. You want to phone just to bounce something off. But following Jesus is hard sometimes. I don't know how you get through this life without following Jesus. I guess perhaps that's why alcohol sales do so well. But what's also true is sometimes we make it just a little bit harder for ourselves. Look here in, in Acts chapter 26, um, we see here this is Saul who became the apostle Paul, and he's before a king, 
and he's explaining why he is following Jesus, why he is doing what he is doing, telling the story of Christ, and sort of we pick up in the midst of his testimony before this king, and he says, in this connection, the connection being that he was going from town to town, city to city, village to village, persecuting the church, wanting to break down church, wanting to throw Christians in jail, and he says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And as I said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And I remember I read this many, many times and kind of, it's one of those passages I read, but I, I get, I realized I didn't understand what it meant, but I never stopped to kind of figure out what it meant. And then one day I actually stopped and I figured out, what is this goads thing that Paul is kicking against? And a goad is a very simple object that was used in ancient agriculture when you were farming with cattle. It was just a sharp stick used to prod animals to push them in a direction. A couple of years ago, I had a friend, and they were working in, in Nalspreit, and went over to visit for the weekend. And as part of the weekend, one of our activities that happened to just coincide in the weekend that I was there is because they were friends with some game range farming people, and we had to go box a rhino. Don't know how many of you have ever boxed a rhino. It doesn't mean we had to punch a rhino, but there was like a big box and we had to get the rhino into the box because the rhino had to be moved. So the helicopter comes and darts the rhino. And then the rhino is pretty dazed, but you don't want to dart the rhino so that the rhino completely falls asleep. Because I don't know when last you tried moving a sleeping rhino. So you need the rhino sort of half awake so the rhino can still move by its own power. But at the same time, you don't want the rhino awake so that when he realizes what's going on, he throws you 30 meters in the air with his big horn. You know? So it's kind of a, a balancing act. So the, the helicopter comes, they find the rhino, they dart the rhino, you drive there with the bucky, and there's this very dazed and confused rhino. And then they gave us a bunch of cattle, electric cattle prods. And the rhino's got thick skin, he can handle it, it's okay. So every now and again, you just have to prod the rhino with his cattle prod just to get him moving towards the box. So you've got the bucky there, big box on the trailer, and now you've got to get the rhino from like five or six meters from where he is to where the box is. And he's walking by himself. Every now and again, you've got to prod him with a cattle prod, with a goad. And so here's Paul, and what God is saying to Paul is, Paul, you can only make life so hard for yourself. It is hard for you to go against what I want you to do. Paul, how long are you going to continue going in this direction where every now and again you get zapped by this cattle prod? And as I was praying and just kind of meditating a couple of weeks even, I just sense God wanting to remind all of us it is hard for you to kick against the goats. It is a lot easier to swim downstream. You know, kicking against the goads is very much like swimming upstream, swimming against the current. It is highly tiring. You have to do a significant more amount of work when you're swimming up the stream than when we're swimming down the stream. 
And I sense in a way God wants to come and invite some of us to start swimming more downstream. A little bit like Paul here gets an invitation to say, Paul, you can carry on. God says it's not impossible for you. You can, and apparently this was quite a well-known saying at the time in the Greek culture, in the Greek community, kind of everyone would have understood the saying, it's hard to kick against the goads. When someone's prodding you in a direction, it is hard to want to go in a different direction. It's hard to swim upstream. And I realized that for so many of us in our lives, there are places, there are areas where God is speaking to us, but we continue to swim upstream. And as life, as hard as life is, we're making it even harder for ourselves. Just over the last COVID period, I've just noticed that over and over, sometimes about the fights we choose to fight as Christians. You know, as Christians, there are fights we choose to fight. There are fights we need to fight. I just... A couple of weeks ago, some of you may know that the, um, the Supreme Court in the United States, they overturned a landmark judgment that had been taken place in 1973 that made it a constitutional right for people to have abortions. Some people call it abortions. I call it baby murder. Same thing. And they made it legal. They said it was a constitutional right. Churches throughout the ages the last 30 or 40 years, have been praying and saying, God, this is such an injustice. These are the most vulnerable members of our society that have absolutely no voice, that are just completely defenseless. And the numbers, I don't even get into it, but you know, some of us know about 9-11 and how that changed the state of the whole world because about 3,000 people died that day in those plane attacks in New York. The crazy, scary thing for me is more than that we're killed every day in America for the last 30 or 40 years. More than 3,000 every single day. As bad as 9-11 ones, there's a... Anyway, so that's been overturned, and that's a fight which Christians have been fighting for decades. God has come to overturn that, and the fight is still ahead for us in South Africa because we're still a long way from that. As churches, we're still trusting that we can find ways to deal with the hurt, with the brokenness that could drive people to those actions, but at the same time that we can defend the lives of those defenseless babies. We need to fight, some, fight the right fights. It's amazing how we just sometimes choose. We want to fight against everything. I worked with some trauma people in my life, and the crazy thing about somebody who's been in an abusive space for a long time, they've gotten so used to fighting that that's the only thing they know, and they fight against everything. Even when you want to help them, they're fighting against you because that's just their natural response. That's all they know. Sometimes as Christians, we step into that a little bit, and we just start fighting against everything. And the next thing we know, we realize we're fighting against God. We're kicking against the goads. God is leaving us in direction, but it's become so self-preserving on our inside. We're fighting to preserve ourselves. We're fighting to look after ourselves all of the time. One of my famous quotes that I really enjoyed hearing the last couple of weeks as we've been speaking about following Jesus is that you are dead as long as you refuse to die. Jesus said that unless you lose your life for my sake, you won't find it. You are dead as long as you refuse to die. And as long as we're fighting, as long as we're arguing, as long as we're struggling for survival, so often we miss that we begin find ourselves in a place where we're struggling against God and 
we're actually swimming not only against the stream, against the current of the world, but we start swimming against the stream and against the current of Christ. Some of us is in our continual fighting. We're fighting against God in our finances. We're fighting against God in our families or in our careers. God is wanting to lead us in a different direction. And I sense for some of us, He wants to say the word of grace that He spoke to Paul. And He said, there is an easier way. There is an easier way. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. God is standing there with His cattle prod in a very loving, gracious way, wanting to direct us in the direction that we need to go. But something inside of us wants to go in a different direction. Love of the New Living Translation kind of phrases this verse for us. It says, We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my wall. It is useless for you. Some of us, we're in this place, and as I'm speaking, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit is beginning to show us some areas where we are fighting against God's will. Where we're swimming upstream and where we're tiring ourselves out so much more than we need to. Matthew 11, Jesus says, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know, this is a verse we hear so often. I wonder how many of us actually take this to heart. As an aside, there's a, a good litmus test as well. If your coming to Christ is not weary, it's not easy and light. If your coming to Christ feels to you like it's weary and a heavy burden, I'm coming to Christ and it's this heaviness that comes upon me. Going to the Word, doing Bible study, coming to church, serving Finding a place to step up and see the kingdom of God come. If, if that's weary and heavy laden to you, you're missing something about who God is. You're probably missing something about where God wants you to be. And perhaps you should consider that maybe you're swimming against the stream. Maybe it's because I'm fighting for survival and not willing to surrender. Because Jesus says that the world brings us to this place where we are weary and carry heavy burdens, but He gives us rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Every time I read this, I'm astounded by myself, probably more than anybody else. But how often I miss simple truths like this, let me teach you. So often we come to Christ and we already think we've got it figured out. I know how I'm going to do this. I know I'm going to go into this relationship. I know I'm going to conduct myself in this situation. I know what I want to do with this business presentation. I know I'm going to do this. And then Jesus' invitation is, come and let me teach you. I wonder when is the last time we slowed down and we said, okay, God, I have a three, four, five, six, seven-year degree. I've got a doctorate degree. I've got everything figured out, but will you teach me? Jesus, as much as I think I know, I understand in a natural sense this thing, maybe you as the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe just get this a little bit more than I do. Will you come and teach me? Lord, oh, sorry, let me teach you, he says, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you 
is light. If the yoke that you are wearing is not easy to bear, if the burden is not light, it is not the yoke and the burden from Christ. It is some other yoke that you are carrying. And this morning, I sense God is inviting us to come and, like Paul and say, okay, God, how do I change direction? It is hard for you to kick against the girls. And what I love about God's word towards Paul is it is not necessary for you to kick against the girls. There is an easier way. There is a better way. Yes, there are fights we need to fight. Yes, there are times, but what I've experienced in my life, as tiring in the natural as those moments are, when we're standing up and we are fighting what God has called us to fight, His burden is easy and His yoke is light, even in the midst of those heavy battles. And there's a time that we must rest and there's a time that we must step back. But if our life is one of tired and burden and heavy laden, I think we need to step back and ask ourselves that, is this truly the rest that Christ has before me? Where is it that I'm swimming against the stream? Where am I kicking against the goads? Where am I refusing to just surrender? I met some people like that in my life that, you know, they've got this issue about something, maybe about birthday parties as an example. And every time a birthday party comes around, they are so hung up about what a birthday party must be or mustn't be, they can never just enjoy the birthday party. They just can't enjoy the birthday party because every birthday party is wrong in their eyes. And they're fighting about making it right. And I'm using a silly example, but this carries through in so many areas of our lives. Sometimes it's easier to say, I'm just going to enjoy the cake. I didn't have to organize. If I organize the birthday party, I'm going to do it this way. I didn't organize this birthday party. I didn't make this happen. I'm just going here. Let me just enjoy it. I don't have to fight about this birthday party. But some of us, we have these things in our lives where we have our way to think that it must, the way that we think it must be, the way it think it should come to pass. And God's wanting to say, sometimes it is hard for you to kick against the goats. Just let it be. And I think one of the ways in which we begin to step into the lightness. And let me just first say that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. That does not mean it is always comfortable and it is not challenging. On the contrary, it's one of these weird tensions in following Christ. His burden is easy, his yoke is light, but at the same time, it is decidedly uncomfortable. It's challenging us. It's like, God, this is different. This is not the way that I would have done it. Well, yes, that's why I'm teaching you. <laughs> If it's the way that you would have done it, I wouldn't have needed to teach you. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. So we need to learn to find that place of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Being comfortable with being changed. Being comfortable with, God, this isn't the way that I wanted to do it, but it's the way that you want me to do it, so it's a better way. It's an easier way. It's a lighter way. We shouldn't, have Christ, as Christians, have to go through this world with this big fight, this big struggle, this all the time just pushing against everything that the world has before us. Your body, your constitution, your makeup was not made to sustain that. And so one of the ways that I've just realized that we as church often miss, and I love that we sang about it even this morning, how do we come to this place of finding rest for our souls 
Psalm 46, verse 10, we sang Psalm 46 this morning. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Be still and know that I am God. We live in such a noisy world. We live in such a noisy world that for some of us, the hardest thing that we can do is to take our phone and to hold in this button on the side and push power off. It's like our, our thumbs physically can't get to the point of just switching off our phone because we need the noise. We need the stimulus from the Netflix or the Instagram or the WhatsApp message. We need the noise of the next phone call and there's something in our lives that we have become so noisy. And Scripture says, be still and know. Be still and know. So what I actually want us, just everything up to here was just an introduction. But I want us to think about this morning a little bit is about the stillness in our hearts and in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, actually, at the start of the year, went away with a, a whole bunch of other pastors and, and church people and we're just praying the one evening and I felt the Lord just whisper this into my spirit and I've been carrying it with me but I sense it's more than just for me. I think it's for the church and the part that I get to speak into and be a part of a little bit. I sense God was saying more worship, less words. Sometimes even our, our worship is just word after word after word and we miss something about our hearts. And we get lost in the multitudes of the noise of the words. Rather than just stillness of our hearts. Less words, more worship. And I think that thing is carrying through as a theme through so many areas of my life. I want us to read here from Exodus chapter 14. Just such a beautiful example of God coming and working in a way that is so different. Now, as we're going to read this, I want us to realize that in this situation, people are reacting. It, it's not for some of us, you know, we get really tense because maybe a relationship is on the line and that's important. And, or a career is on the line and that's important. Some large finances on the line and that could be important. These people are speaking from a place of our lives, literally, are on the line. If we get this wrong, we die. And so the people of Israel, they've been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. And Moses, God uses Moses, rises him up, raises him up, sends him to Pharaoh, the whole story of the ten plagues. Eventually they say, let the people of Israel go so that they can go to worship. And that was God's whole reason for bringing out, let my people go so that they may worship me. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says, okay, we're going to let them go. You guys can go. This, you staying here is causing us too much problems. And so when the king of Egypt, in Exodus 14, verse 5, we pick up the story. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? 
So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea, at that place's name, in front of that place's name. And then when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And perhaps some of us can sort of just envision our situation where we are a little bit in where these guys are at. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I wonder what you would say. I wonder what I would have said in that situation if Moses says, there's this big army marching towards us, intent on only doing one thing, and that's killing us. And God says, be silent. Just stand still and be silent. And the storms, the chaos that's raging in our lives, how when sometimes God comes and He says, just be silent. No, God, I can't be silent. I must fight. I must push on. And God's like, I've got some goads here. <laughs> you're kicking, you're swimming upstream. You're making life so much harder for you than it needs to be. In this case, just be silent. Just be silent. But, but we're going to die. Be silent. But, but, be silent. But, be silent. It's a beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in the Beatitudes, where Jesus is giving all of these just beautiful life lessons. And in the midst of that, in 5, verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is this place of just being completely controlled within ourselves, surrendered, humble. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness doesn't say, I don't have strength and I don't have power. I think someone described it really well. Meekness is driving your Ferrari at 120 kilometers an hour. I have all of the power. I have all of that ability. If I put my foot down, there's no reason why I can't hit 200 or 250 really quickly except that I choose not to do it. I choose to rein it in. And so Scripture says, blessed are the meek. It's amazing for me in this African context that there are these political guys standing up all the time, and they want to fight for the land. A part of you wants to say, you want to get the land? God will let you have all of the land. What is the key? Meekness. Are you willing to be meek? Are you willing to take all of the power that you could have Bring it under control. 
So God comes before us and He says to these people of Israel, and I guess a little bit to some of us today, will you let me fight for you? And there's only one way that I can fight for you, and that's when you're not fighting. So what I need from you right now in this situation is only one thing. And for many of us, possibly the hardest thing. Just be quiet. No, but be quiet. I'm going to go speak to him. I'm going to send this email. I'm going to make that phone. Just be quiet. Now I need to send the quiet. Maybe just the Instagram. Just quiet. Just quiet. Just be quiet. I wonder when is the last time in your life, and I'm speaking to myself here as well, that you were just quiet. Not quiet listening to somebody else speak, not you quiet watching a movie, not you quiet because you're browsing through your Instagram stuff. Just phone off, doors closed, nobody speaking. I'm just quiet. It's a discipline that I think in our modern world, my eldest daughter is 11 now. I don't think she's ever been quiet in her whole life. With three daughters, it's amazing. Like they start speaking at about a year old and then they never stop. <laughs> but the discipline of just being quiet. You know how hard it is with my kids when they start fighting? Have you guys seen that? Those of you who've had kids, been around kids. When Two of them, and I know none of your kids ever fight. Unfortunately, my kids do. And so the kids start going at one another, and the temperature starts escalating quickly in those fights. You know the hardest thing for them to do? Be quiet. No, be quiet. No, just be quiet. No, I need to get in the last word. No, you need to be quiet. No, I need to shout more than, no, you need to be quiet. And we laugh at kids doing that. And then we realize, but we are probably not very different as adults. Just be quiet. I wonder how much more we would see the Lord move in our lives if we learned the discipline of silence. Doesn't mean we must always be silent. Look what Ecclesiastes says. I think most of us probably know this passage really well as well. For everything there is a season, there is a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, like COVID time probably. Okay, A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Scripture definitely doesn't say it is always time for silence. There are other battles that took place in Scripture where it was very clear God said, now you go. In this situation, it was, you keep quiet. So we need to trust God for a discernment. We need to trust God for people around us who can help with this. And then it's not such a bad idea to give me a call and say, Philip, I think this is what God is saying. To go to a small group to say, 
I think this is what God is calling me to do. Will you pray with me? Will you support me in this? Will you come alongside us? I don't want to do this alone because we weren't meant to follow Christ alone. We were always meant to do it in community. There is very much a time when we must fight. There is a time when we must stand up. That part for many of us comes naturally. The one that's probably harder is the time for silence. A time to keep quiet. A time not to fight back. A time not to defend. Some of the hardest situations in my life has been when somebody is accusing me a bunch of things and everything inside of me wants to put the right facts on the table and the Holy Spirit is just, just keep quiet. No, but, but, just keep quiet. It is so hard for us to do as humans. How much more when the enemy is coming at you and you're making all these plans because they're literally going to kill me. They're like, I can see them, so they're not very far. They're going to be here soon with their chariots, with their horses, and we're just a bunch of guys with no weapons, defenseless. And as we keep quiet, God moves so powerfully. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, God had spoken to the people of Israel and for thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. In quietness and trust in God is your strength. Unfortunately, the passage doesn't end there. But you were unwilling, it says. And then it goes on to speak about how they were unwilling and God had to move in a different way and the calamity that came upon them. So my prayer for us this morning is let us not be unwilling. Let's be willing. Let's be willing when God speaks to us that in returning and rest we shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be our strength that we don't, like Paul, start kicking against the goats. We don't start going, God, I want my way, my noisy way, my busy way. I'm a city person. I need noise. I need action. I need activity. I need voices. I need lights. Sometimes just the sweet sound of silence. The sweet, sweet sound of being quiet. Quiet with our own thoughts and quiet with the voice of God. Just quiet. Just stepping back and, and being silent. So what I'd like us to do, if possible, in the mother's room, if you can, probably going to be impossible there, but you can try and join, is if we can take a few moments and just be quiet. Felt the Lord minute. Crystal was there when we were in Malopo last week. Just felt speaking to a bunch of leaders and just about a bunch of different things and leadership and church leadership and some of the challenges associated with that. And I just felt God said, we must just be quiet for a while. I'm not joking. We weren't even quiet for three minutes. And the Holy Spirit moved just powerfully. People there in that room, they just, God just started moving, just started suddenly crying People just spontaneously standing up and coming forward and just saying, will you come and pray with me? People being delivered and people just for the first time, for some of them in years, just being quiet. Something so beautiful happens 
when we learn at the right time to be quiet. So I'd like us just to practice perhaps for a moment. Just to be quiet. So some of us need to turn our phones off, take the watch off, turn off, vibrate. It's crazy how this happens. The moment you decide to get quiet, the enemy is like, no, no, no. Phone starts vibrating. People who haven't called you in seven years start getting hold of you. It's not now. Just go away. Just be quiet. So Jesus, right now, God, we pray just for grace to stand still, Lord, and to only be silent. God, there's so much going on in our lives and in some of those places we must fight, Lord. Some of them we must press in. Lord, and some others, all you're asking us is to be quiet, Lord. So Jesus, we just want to come before you in our quietness and hear your voice. We ask for our daily bread, Jesus, this morning, even in our quietness, meet with us, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.